Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk, but in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been here. This is the Black Country Blokes chewing the fat with me, Kev Dillon. Lee Cadman, and our special guest is Sky Stewart. Now, Sky has had such a remarkable life, um, and she's here to tell us all about it, from dealing with mental health to changes the body and the soul, and she's here not to tell us about her struggles, but her victories, and what a remarkable life and perseverance has been. So over to you, Sky. Could you tell us a bit about your life? Hi, guys. Um, thank you for having me on the show, firstly. It, it is a great honour. Um so I think um, the best place to start my story is as um, a very confused teenager um, going through school. Um, I'm I'm transgender, um, so um, I grew up as um, as a man, you know, throughout my life up until a certain point. So throughout school, I was always, you know, I was quite an outgoing person. Um, and, you know, you could say I was very camp. <laughs> um, and there was always something very, very different about me. Um, but I couldn't really put my finger on what was different about me. Obviously, um, you know, puberty had, had set in um, and my hormones, estrogen, testosterone was all over the place, like it is with so many other people um, at that age. Um, and, I, and I kind of quickly knew that I was attracted to men, um, and that was quite obvious um, within my thinking. Um, but I never really, I never really thought about my gender, or you know, did I feel like a man? Did I feel like a woman? I just, you know, I just felt different all the time. Um, and and you know, very quite early into my teenage years, um, I started self harming, and like it wasn't, I wasn't doing it for attention because I never used to tell anyone. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you, you self-harm because you want attention. I didn't want attention. I, I, I didn't want any attention put onto me. I just, I just had something inside me that I had to release. Um, so, and I mean, my self-harm was very superficial. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was having to go to A&E or anything like that. It was just, you know, I had um, scratches, really. Um and I, I was still like, I was really struggling. I, I didn't really get what I was about. Um, I was questioning my identity. And I and I just felt like I didn't really fit in, you know, fit in with the world. Um, and there was, I mean, within my own year group, I was very much respected and I was a bit of the class clown and, you know, a bit, a bit of a naughty child, if you can put it like that. But, you know, the, the years above me was, I would get bullied. Um, and I mean, I had my arm broke, I, you know, was took up an alley and had my arm stamped on till it was broke. Um, I was forced to go on a roundabout and, and span that fast that all the blood vessels in my eyes popped out of the park. Um, yeah, it, it, it was horrible. Like it was, you know, my, my life out of school was not the best at all. You know, even though I had a very supportive family, I come from a very loving home. 
you know, when I was walking the streets, it was constant that I was getting abuse um, for being gay. But I, I hadn't actually come out. Um, so, I mean, you know, that, that you know, kind of, it sent me away from wanting to be around men. I always hung around with, with girls. All my friends were girls. I had very few male friends, really. Um, so that, that was kind of my school life. And I, I used to, like, make excuses up not to do PE because I wasn't confident in my body. And I obviously knew I had body image issues, but I didn't know it was because of gender identity. Um, I Could just I just ask a question? Could I ask a question? Sorry, Sky. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you say, like, that must have been so difficult for you, being attracted to men, but at the same time being scared and wary of men. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, you know, it's... I mean, I, I never, I was never attracted to anyone in my year group or in my school. <laughs> I can, you know, uh, I can quite honestly say that. Um, but it was, yeah, because I, that's what I thought most men were like, you know. And even though I had, um, you know, positive role models as men, you know, um, my my um, sister's boyfriend, very positive man, I, and you know. Um, he, they was quite a bit older than me because it's like 14 years difference between me and my sister. So like, obviously she'd got children um, when I was younger. And, you know, so, I mean, he was a very nice guy. So there was never any negative, you know, aspects of men. My dad, I've always got on with my dad. You know, there's never, I've never saw anything that, you know, give me that image that men was, you know, horrible. But it was just the men of my age group that kind of, you know, completely put me off. Um, and, and and that's probably why I was never attracted to any of them because I just found them, you know, so immature, really. Um, and so from then, it was just like when I went out into, you know, the world, um, I got a job and, you know, went out into the world. It was a, a completely different thing. And, you know, when I came out as gay to my parents and my family, there was no... There was no um, qualms about it. It was it was very much accepted and something that they already knew. <laughs> um, they didn't really need me to tell them. And as soon as I left school, I come out. And, you know, that was half of the battle for me, you know, coming out as gay, which... Um, but I knew, my, I knew my family would accept me, you know. That, that wasn't never going to be an issue because, you know... When, I'm sure we've all sat around in, you know, living rooms and been watching telly and stuff like that. I mean, I, I never, I've never heard my my mum, my dad, um, discriminate against anyone really. You know, I think they're quite, even though they're, you know, a lot older. Um, I mean, my dad was like, I think he was nearly forty when he had me. My mum was thirty-seven, so you know, my parents are older. Um, so you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, it's a generation thing." Whereas I never saw that generation thing because. My parents were of that generation, an older generation, but that I, I still never heard. It was like we never heard discrimination in our house. Um, and I think that's, you know, that really set us up for our future, really. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the view that we have on life and how open we are um, about a lot of things. Um, so, I mean, uh, and then, you know, throughout my working life, um, I was very much accepted in work. I wasn't bullied at work or anything like that. Um, but I, at 18, I met um, my partner. Um, and we, we were together about eight or nine years. So it was like a very long-term relationship. And throughout that relationship, I wasn't happy. Um, I always knew that he was cheating on me. Um, 
but I would never address it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I wasn't happy with him myself. Um, and I, I was just like, I was just floating through life. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was actually getting any purpose in life or existing. Um, I was just floating through life. And, you know, my, my boyfriend was just like a sort of habit, really. Um, it was just that, I, you know, we lived together. There was nothing in there. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, we had some laughs and stuff like that. Um, but it was never a happy relationship. And it was also, it was always very volatile. Um, because he was a compulsive liar as well. You know, and uh, and that was hard because, you know, everybody else could see it. Um, and at times my family could see it as well. But I couldn't, you know, and even though I, you know, I very much knew that he was cheating a lot. Um, and even, you know, even, you know, when I was sleeping, he would be cheating. Uh, do you know what I mean? That, and I always think to myself, like, how, how can, like, how can you get away with that? Like, when your partner's in bed and, you know, you, you, you've got someone downstairs and you're cheating on them, like, how can you get away with it? But, you know, when you're, like, in such a deep sleep, <laughs> you, you can't get away with it. And, and that's what he did. He knew I was a deep sleeper. Um, but throughout the relationship, I, I, I just felt like it wasn't going right. And I felt like it wasn't what I wanted either. Um, and there was always something missing. Um, and... So that's when I started to, you know, really think about myself and stuff like that. And I just like, I'd always wanted to be a drag queen as a younger person, um, you know. And I, I, I was fascinated by um, by Boy George when I was young and Julian Clary, um, <laughs> and it was just like many makeup. And I was just fascinated by them. And like, even my mum used to let me watch. Um, Sticky moments <laughs> with Julian Clary hosted, and I, really, I was too young to be watching stuff like that. Um, but I was just like fascinated with men in makeup, and then you know, later on in my life, I, you know, I really, I really went into my, myself and looked at you know where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, and I realised that I didn't, I didn't want to be a man anymore. Um, and, and I wanted that must be such a because like. A lot of England people think it's such a, a snap decision, but that must take a lot of soul searching. And then to go on the next part of the journey of uh, asking the GP and going for all the things I know you have to go through, it's not just a, a flash by a thought, is it, Sky? No, no, I mean, it, 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 do, it does take um, a lot of soul searching and a lot of thinking. It's not, it's a life changing decision. Um, and especially to go to the point that I've been to, it, it, you know, there's no coming back from any of that, um, which I'll, you know, obviously I'll talk about in a bit. But it, it wasn't, it wasn't just an overnight decision. You know, it was something that I had to research, look into, and make sure that I felt right. And you know, the first time, um, I, you know, I started dressing as a woman, it just felt right. It wasn't like. It wasn't anything sexual or anything like that. It was just, you know, the women's clothes was what I felt, you know, then presenting as a woman is how I felt. And it was kind of a light, it was kind of enlightenment, really. Um, and it really, it really, you know, centred me. Um, but obviously, I had, a, I had a full-time job. I couldn't just, I was working in learning disability setting. I couldn't just, trans, you know, um, transform overnight and, start living a life as a woman there was a lot of procedures and 
you know, it, it, it's, you know, really hard within those settings, within mental health settings, within learning disability settings, because at times they target your weaknesses um, to try and get a reaction or, you know, and, but so when I, when I decided that I was going to transition, I, I always knew that I wouldn't transition in work. Um, so, I mean, I was having a lot of time off sick because I was very depressed. I was very stressed all the time. I was having a lot of time off sick. It was going down disciplinary route. And I just like said it in a meeting. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm transgender. And, and from that, from that moment on, it was like, I've actually admitted it and I can move forward um so the first of october i set a date the first of october 2010 i was just going to do it like i handed my notice in at work um and i was just going to do it and and that's what i did um i just you know the night before i threw everything away and um, packed it all up got all my new clothes you know and i was it was like a fresh start like the first of october 2010 was you know was going to be my fresh start um and that's what I did, you know, and the, and the night before, like, I was so nervous um, about presenting as a woman full time, even though, I, you know, I'd been out a few times. It was always mainly at night times that I'd been out because not because not through choice, but just because of working and stuff like that. And obviously the time of year, um, it was always dark when I went out. Um, did it, so, did it, were you like, sorry to interrupt you, but was it like the thoughts of the bullies? not going to accept you was that creeping into your mind was that a part of it at all or yeah definitely um yeah you know I'd, I'd been bullied a lot as you know in my teenage years and obviously that that did like kind of it, it's always going to play on your mind um and I, and there had been comments uh, towards me as an adult as well um so that was always going to play on my mind and it was always something i would have to overcome um to get rid of those thoughts otherwise i'll just live a miserable life really like living as a man I, it, I don't think i'd be here today if if i had to continue living as a man um but my mindset was like you know i've kind of been a victim as a man but i will never be a victim as a woman um and my mindset changed like if you know if i've got a fight i've got a fight do you know what i mean like I'm not going to let someone come and rag me up in the street or, you know, try and beat me up. I'm not saying, you know, I'm bloody Mike Tyson, but, you know, if, if, if I'm going down, I'm going down fighting. And that was my mindset and my mindset completely changed. Um, so like, I was, you know, I was confident. Um, I was confident going into it because I felt so good in myself and I was confident that this is what I wanted. And, I did have, you know, I did have support and stuff like that. I was confident to move on in my mm -hmm. life, really, um, and, and, and you know, move forward. And, I mean, like, the first appointment with my GP saying, you know, I think I'm, you know, transgender, it, it, it was hard. It's not easy just to, you know, blurting out like that. <clears throat> and then going into, um, I was referred to, you know, a psychologist, which is the next stage. And the psychologist then says, oh, yeah, you know, you are transgender. And then you refer back to your GP and then your GP refers you here. So it, it, it's not, it's a very long process. And so it should be. It, you know, I, th I think it could be shorter. But I think, you know, the process is, 
it's, it is important because, you know, the, there is some people out there who do start to transition and they don't want to go through with it, you know, and, and, and that is fine. Do you know what I mean? That's their choice. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's, two kind, there's two kinds of trans people. You've got transgender who, um, you know, are, you know, in their mind they're a woman and stuff like that. Um, and then transsexual, where they want to go out and change their sex, so they had the surgery, um, and, and and I had the surgery in the end. And you know, sometimes I refer to myself as transgender, transsexual. It, it to me, it, it is kind of the same. You know what I mean? Like, if someone called me transgender, I, you know, it's not offensive. Even you know, this label is I'm transsexual, um, but it, it, it is basically the same, really. You mean you, you live as a woman full time? Um, and, you know, I went into work, I started working, you know, and, and it was then that I started to um, feel like I needed to be validated as a woman. Um, I, and, 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 and that's when um, I went down quite a deep, deep stoop um, with sex addiction. Um, and, I, you know, I got quite addicted to sex um, because I felt like to be validated, validated as a woman, women, um, we men needed to sleep with me and that was the ultimate validation but you know in the trans world it's it's a completely different world um mm. and there's a lot of you know nuances within the trans world like you know the men are quite confused themselves so it's just two confused people sleeping together and, and, it, and it just becomes a bit of a you know a bit of a head fuck really um for me and for them as well like it, it, it's you know that they're, they're on their own journey and they perhaps don't understand their feelings and being attracted to someone who used to be a man um mm. but it's just like two toxic people together you know both looking for something and looking at each other to get that thing and you know for me it was validation for them it was probably you know a, a quick fetish that they'd always or always dreamed of um but there was no you know no getting down to them them, them lower levels and them layers and you know and, and, it, and it took me a while to 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 realize that you know all this perception of what a man wanted their woman to look like was you know bullshit do you know what I mean it's it's you know it, you know to be to be um, a passable transsexual you have to wear this you have to wear that and you know, half the time I was just sitting around in my onesie, <laughs> and, and 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 it's just like you know, and then they're talking to you, and you're like, "What you're wearing, this and your that." And it is for the men, it, it is very sexual, and I'm just sitting there in my onesie, you know, drinking, um, and like, and I'm just like, oh, "Do you know what? You, you you just..." And it took me like five, six, seven years to get to that stage in my life where I could just say, "Do you know what? I don't actually need you." Like, I, I you know. You're not validating me. You're making me feel worse. Um, and that's a, that's a real big step to overcome, isn't it? Whether you're yeah. transgender, straight, gay, lesbian, not to find validation in how someone necessarily uses your body, but how you feel in your own soul. Definitely, and I mean, I think like the I, I say the transgender of my era. You know, we we all kind of developed together. We all kind of transitioned in the same in the same time and it, it we all went through that same journey of this especially um all my friends are, are attracted to men 
um, and none of them are attracted to other trans women or, you know, there is diversity within the trans world. Um, and we all went through that journey together and, you know, we all look back on it together and we say, why did we, why did we actually, you know, live to men's expectations? Why did we, you know, let them abuse us in that way? And, you know, even though we was, you know, at times we was enjoying it, you know, we was enjoying the attention, but, you know, why did we let them dictate to us? Like, you have to wear this and real women do this and real women do that. My perception of a woman, your perception of a woman, is totally different. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone perceives femininity in, in in a different way, and everyone perceives masculinity in a different way. It's, you know, it's everyone's individual, and that's what makes this world so perfect. Really, is that that we are all individuals, and we all perceive things in different ways. Um, as, a, as a happily married man, my Kate doesn't always walk around in stockings and spenders. She's always in a, <laughs> in, in, in a comfies. <laughs> you know exactly. You know what I mean? And for such a macho bloke like me, I'm first to admit, I'll sit on the settee and have a belly full of crying. So <laughs> what makes a man, what makes a woman? You know, we, we, we are just people, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's really important and, you know, I think she's very daunting at times, but there is always light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I've been on this journey, but everyone's been on their own journey. Um, and everyone gets different things out of life. And, you, you you know, you either accept them, you try and change them, or you just run with them. Um, and obviously I made my changes. And, you know, I, I thought that was the end of it, really. I thought that's, you know, this is the new me. I'd... You know, five years into my transition, I'd got the letter to say that, you know, I could have surgery. Um, and then I remember like going up to London six weeks before my surgery and it was like, oh, you're overweight. And I was like, you're mad. <laughs> Why are you saying I'm overweight? So I, like, I looked in the mirror and I thought, I'm overweight. And I was like, and there was laughing at me. And I was like, are you being serious? And there was like, yeah, you're overweight. And I says, are you mad? I says, I the weight. This is, you know, you've got six weeks to lose lose some weight. They never said how much. So for six weeks, I'd, um, I was working in a pub at the time. Um, and I was I was a DJ there. I w- and it was really hard, but I never drunk um, for six weeks. I carried on smoking, which is naughty, really. I should have stopped. Um and, I, and, I, and I, all I lived on was um, jacket potato, tuna and cheese. That was my life for six weeks. So I could lose a bit of weight. So I could have this surgery. And, you know, travelling up to London on the day of the surgery, it was the, the 1st of June, 2015. Um, and I, I, I had to be there for 10 o'clock in the morning. So I, you know, travelled up to London on the train. Um, I'd booked myself in and there was like doing all the tests, this and the other. Um, and then I, it was like I was just sitting there, and I I realised that this was real now. This is this is the time that there's no backing out of. And do you really want it? And you know, leading up to that, I was like, is this what I really want? And and, and, I, and I think that's I think that's okay to say that. Like you know, I think you know, last minute dates. It's major surgery. You're going to be in theatre for five six hours. Um, and I can remember I'd borrowed my um, my sister's dressing game, which had a hood on. Um, and 
because where the ward was, that's a walkthrough waiting room where all these other people was. And I can just remember putting my hood up, looking at the floor and just sobbing as I walked to theatre. I was, I was like literally petrified. And the student nurse who took me there was like, um, are you all right? You all right? I was like, yeah, just get me, just get me on that bed. I just need to, you know, I need to get over and done with now. And she was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes, 100%. And like when I, when I, and then she got on the bed and, you know, I was there with the anaesthetist. I just seemed to have relaxed. And then before I knew I was out and I was waking up back on the ward and um, pressing my morphine button. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, can't, I can't really remember any pain. Um, I can just remember being sick because of the morphine. Um, and, uh, so I can't remember being in any pain. And a lot of people say, like, uh, when, when I speak to men, I'm like, is it painful? <laughs> and I'm like, no, uh, because they, they obviously they see it from their from their perspective, like um, being kicked in the bollocks or something like that. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> it's like it, that, that that probably is painful, um, but no, I, I didn't really feel any much, very much pain, or you know, um, I still took the painkillers all the time just because I wanted to sleep. <laughs> Because he was that boring. You can't get out of bed for five or six days. I think it's, I had the operation on the Monday and you couldn't even get out of bed till the Sunday. So it's like six six days on bed rest. And, you know, you, you, you're in this ward with um, four other people, two other transsexuals. And there was next to my bed, there was, you know, another girl who had done something else. And, um you know, she was just moaning all the time. And I was like, oh, my life, just get me out of there. I need a fag as well. <laughs> and um, I mean, like, and then as soon as, I, you know, I could get up, I was I was straight down for a cigarette, which is very naughty. Um, and sometimes, I, you know, I blame myself about that. You know, um, when, when I realised that my surgery had gone wrong, when I'd come back from London, you know, I, I, I always go back to that and, and, and think, well, if I didn't smoke, would it, would it, would it have healed? Um, so basically what happened is that um, when I got back out of London, I'd, I'd been discharged and everything, um, all my stitches burst open um, down below. Um, that's never nice. Like, that's never a good thing, is it? No, no, it's not. And, and you know, my sister's a nurse and I was like, this is happening. She was like, oh, you, you, you've got to email the... There was no there was no phone call point of contact with these people at London. You had to email them, um, and I emailed them, and I was like, "Oh, everything's broke open," um, and there was like, "Oh, you because you have to dilate um, three 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 times a day um, just to keep everything open." You know what the what 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 they created, and they said you can you need to carry on dilating. I went, I can't because everything's just open. Um, and I said, no, you need to carry on. And, and even as I was dilating, I could feel it ripping even more. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, I think they was thinking it would just heal up on its own accord, um, but it didn't. So I was called back. I was called back to London, um, where I had second surgery, to try and you know fix it. And that that seemed to be successful. I got home, um, and it broke down again. Um, I bet that really. Time. I bet that really started playing on your mental, mental health, though, because you've you've taken this bold step to make this life changing thing, and then not only once but twice it to muck up. Yeah, 
it was hard. It was hard. But I think I was in, I, I think I was in like this, well, because like I'd, I'd had so much um, anaesthetic, you know, in, in June, I think I was like oblivious to it all. And it just become routine. Like that. I went to London and, you know, I, I did this. And that when I went up to the third time, they said, you know, we, we, we have got an operator on you again, um, but we're sending you home. And I, 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 was, I was like, and I just, and it was then that I realised, like, I just burst out in, into tears. And I was like, you cannot send me home. I, you know, I cannot go through this anymore. I just need something done. And um, it was like, what, you know, what, what do you want to achieve from this third, from this third surgery? I was like, I, I don't care if I can't have sex. I just want it cosmetically to look good. Uh, and that's what I opted for. And that was that. I, I, I think, you know, the third, I had the third surgery. I think it was literally, you know, I was down in theatre about an hour. Um, and then I was out within within two two or three days. And that third time, I can remember lying, lying on my, on, in my ward. Um, and loads of people was coming back from having their from their surgery that had been successful. And I just wanted to get out at that point. Like, the, the, you know, the, there was talking about it and this then, you know, and I was like, you know, I just, you know, it's, this is, I just want to go out now. I just want to be with my family. I just want to forget about it, you know, and, and, and that's what I did. You know, I went home and I went, I, you know, within, I think it was within like four or five days, I was back working at the pub and, and, during that time, I think I was like oblivious to it all, um, and I just carried on like like nothing has happened. Um, and I was living above the pub, and then about a week after the third surgery, two weeks after, um, I was told that I was going to be homeless because the pub was being the pub was being um, handed mm-hmm. over to someone else. So then they had to move all my stuff out. So my surgery had gone wrong. I'd lost my job and I'd lost my home all, all within the space of six, seven weeks. Um, you know, and losing my home, it, it wasn't the be all and end all of stuff because I knew I could, I knew I had family that I could stay with, but it was, I'd lost my independence as well. Um, and I think that was, you know, that, that kind of did send me over the edge. So, yeah. And then, so I decided my friend had moved up to Manchester about um, two months before my surgery, really. So I decided I was going to go and live in Manchester. Um, and that's what I did. All right, you know, I moved to Manchester. Um, well, Scott, before we go into the next bit, do you, you know when they got your operations, um, they didn't do it right, I'd say. Do you think yeah. it was because they rushed you out of hospital? Or do you think it, if you were allowed to stay in there and let things develop and heal it might not have happened not that we're here to point blame because that's no, what no, the BCB no. do but I do think, you think it's, sorry I think what it is is like it, it wasn't it wasn't that I was rushed out of the hospital because I had I, I had the same time as everyone else else the first time um but it's very traumatic and I didn't the the surgeon is it was a very new surgeon so you know I think She'd probably only done this operation 10 or 11 times. Um, and she took that post up under pressure because the last gender surgeon had left. Um, so she was kind of fast-tracked. Um, and I think, you know, and 
you know, when I speak about it at the time, I thought, oh, no, I can't blame her. You know, she's she's admitted to, you know, doing this fast, you know, going on, becoming a surgeon quick and this and the other. Um, and, I, and I didn't blame her then. I didn't blame her. And my sister, my sister said to me, she's quick enough to take the money that she's getting paid. So, you know, she should should be held responsible for what she's done because it was obvious that um, she'd done something wrong. And my sister said, because um, she's a, my sister's a theatre nurse, and she said what it looked like was that she'd pulled the, sti- pulled the stitches too tight when she was sewing me up, that the, the stitches were too tight, so there wasn't holding. Um, and, I mean, I'm not a medical person, but, you know, um, and, and, and she said that, the, the surgeon says that my my skin was very thin, um, but I, I, I mean I don't believe her. I think she was just you know fobbing me off sort of thing. Um, but I never blamed her for ages. And then you know um, the part that I'll come on to a bit later on when I saw her again and how cold she was. Um, it was it was definitely I do blame her now. But so, sorry, carry on with what you were saying about you've just gone to see your friend in Manchester. Yeah, so I'd um, I decided that I wanted to move to Manchester. Um, so mm. I got a job um, working mm. in PPI. <laughs> I wasn't one of them. I wasn't one of them cold callers, though. I, I do have to point that out. Um, I wasn't a cold caller, um, and I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, um, I, I worked with some amazing people. Um, I was very much accepted within to you know the the family. Uh, you know, within that workplace. Um, but I was struggling out, outside, outside of my work, um, and I've—I I've, mean, I've always had um, a problem with drink, um, but it—it's it, it, always been, you know, I've, I've always kind of brushed it off. Um, but Manchester is like a twenty-four hour party, party city, um, and there's a lot of temptations there. Um, so I, I, you know, I'd started drinking a lot more nearly every day um when i was out um i was I, I prior to going to manchester i kind of dabbled with with cocaine um but i was never i would never say i was addicted to it it was just recreational um when i went to manchester i, I wouldn't go out unless i had cocaine um and it, and it kind of took over my life um you know so i you know i was drinking friday well, i was drinking all week and then Friday, Saturday, I was going out. I was taking cocaine. And then Sunday, I'd be in a complete and utter mess over, you know, my surgery that had gone wrong. I was overthinking stuff. I was, you know, I was really down. Um, and I was away from my family again, like, and uh, my friends, they had their own mental health struggles and their own problems and stuff like that. Um, and even though, we, you know, we was, we are still close, Um I think we kind of we got in each other's way, like three people living in the same house, struggling with different things. It's gonna it's gonna have a reaction on everyone, isn't it? You know, and 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 the house wasn't the nicest. It was like a shared house, so it, it wasn't just us three. There was you know other people there as well, um, and it wasn't the nicest of houses, um, you know. And and it was during then that. Um, I had the, the, the HIV scare. Um, so basically what happened with that was, you know, I'd, we was all sitting around the table having dinner um, and one of my friends says, I've ordered us a kit where, where you can just do a test at home. 
and, and and for me, it was just a bit of fun because, like, I, it, and I know I shouldn't say that. It's it, you know, it, it is a very serious subject. I've got I've got several friends who have, who are HIV positive. Um, you know, I never thought I would. You know, I, I, I've got it because you know, since I'd moved to Manchester, I hadn't really you know slept around or anything like that. I was just off my head a lot on you know on drinking drugs. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I kind of just took the test, um, then um, we obviously we sent it off, um, and then like about four weeks later, I, I was in Bolton visiting a friend who I'd met, and I had this phone call off this company, um, and they went, "Is that Sky Stewart?" And I was like, "Yeah." And went through all the details, um, and it says. Um, your tests come back positive. I was like, what are you on about? And I was like, you've done, done a test for, you know, HIV, didn't you? I went, yeah. I went, it's come back positive. And these tests are 99.9% sure. And I was like, I, I was like, I was just in shock. Um, and this is like, you need to get to um, within shore clinic today. We've got you an appointment. So I found up my friend and I was like, you know, then tests that we've done, mine's come back positive. Uh, and that, there was, it was just like a, a whirlwind of a, a weekend, really. You know, I'd, I'd been told that it's, these tests are 99.9% sure um, and accurate. But, you know, through a whole weekend, I think, I think, it, was on, I think it was on a bank holiday weekend because I can remember I went out on the Thursday after going to the sex clinic. Um, and then I had, so I had, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then I could go back on the Tuesday to get the results that they'd taken. And, you know, for them, whole five days, I was just constantly on my phone researching, like yeah. researching how, how accurate these tests are and has there been any any defects with these tests. And, yeah, you know, I was sending myself mad and, you know, I was drinking, drinking, drinking. I was, you know, snorting cocaine all the time. I was... I was just constantly doing and I just built myself up into this frenzy. And I mean, on the Thursday, I'd, I'd found one of my friends who had got HIV um, and, and they went absolutely barmy at me, absolutely bonkers. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like doing them tests? You can't just do tests like that. That can just change your life. You know, the, you, when you have these tests, you need counselling and you need there's protocols in place to protect you. If you do get a if you do get a positive thing, she was like, "What what what the hell have you done?" And I was like, "I've just been so stupid." Um, but it, it's when you when you get that kind of result, as you know, with people with HIV, it's not like you you're checking to see if you've got the common cold or see how high your blood pressure is. Because when yeah. when you have that kind of news, as we know now by the grace of God or whatever you believe in, the medication's getting better, so your life isn't necessarily over if you've got HIV. But it's not the news that you just want to get on a Saturday night, is it? No, definitely not. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I had I saw a lot of people with HIV, and you know, I I do advocate equality for HIV, and you know, and even though I saw the quality of life that my friends have, I've also saw the stigma attached to it, and 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 for me at that point in my life, you know, I'd I'd um. You know, had my, my surgery had failed at that point in my life to have HIV on top of that, yeah, was just unimaginable and something that I couldn't even, 
you know, even think about, like, um, there was, if, you know, I'd make plans, I'd made plans, if that test come back on Tuesday, that it was positive, I wouldn't be sitting here now, because I, I, I just couldn't see a life beyond that, you know what I mean, and, and you know, you, you know, for that whole five, six days, you're there questioning everything in your mind, you know, you know, who have you slept with, you know, and, you know, I, I they, you know, six weeks before, I, you know, picked up a guy in that had just come back from Africa. He was an army guy, and he'd just come back from Africa, and you know, I'd, we'd we'd slept together. And I thought that's got to be it. He's just come back from Africa, and you know, it's it's so random. You, you're just like blaming everyone, and you you know, you're trying to think about who this slept with over the past year, and and even like because I told my sister straight away, I've got a really good relationship with my sister. And she was like, but you're always so careful, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And even, you know, as a man, right the way through my transition, I've always been like, that is like important in my life, you know, um, protection. That's like, that. that's what I like pinpointing. Like, I've always been safe. And I've never really done risky behaviours in that way. Um, so I, I honestly couldn't believe it. Like, and, you know, but deep as, you say, like, as you said, your mind, when you're in that rabbit hole, is just yeah. is pointing in every direction, and not one of them directions is a happy direction, is it? And that's no, when the news, no. yeah, myself, the booze. you know, when you uh, and you're waiting for these results, and the cut, uh, and you do, you get on the internet, you do this, you do that, and it's the worst thing you do, you can do, because it, it just makes things ten times worse. But every time I'm waiting for results with regards to that, I'll do the same thing again. It, it's a rabbit hole as well, isn't it? You just keep yeah. going back to, back to doing it. Definitely. I mean, even deep down, I knew, like, deep down, if I would have searched deep down and had the enlightenment, the empowerment to search deep down, I would have known that I didn't have it. Mm. And, like, I would have known because you know your body and, you know, and now I'm in a place where, you know, I'm very in touch, I'm very spiritual, you know, I, I practice, um, you mm. know, wholeness and I'm a very, you know, wholesome person, you know, and I live in the moment and live in the power of now and stuff like that. But back then, I, I wasn't. I was in this vicious circle that kept going round and round and round. My life was escalating and escalating, and everything I touched was falling to pieces, sort of thing. Um, and I knew that Manchester wasn't for me. I knew um, because there was just too much temptation there. So I came back, you know, I moved back to Wolverhampton, and, you know, I started to try and get my life sort of on track, and it didn't work. So I went back to Manchester again. Um, and obviously, oh, I forgot that, you know, I, I, when, when I did get that negative result and, you know, to say that you haven't got HIV, it was just like a big weight lifting off my shoulder. But I still had a problem within myself that I had to, you know, that I had to face um, around the surgery going wrong. And it took me so long to to accept it. I mean, and I went deeper into this hole where I was getting suicidal thoughts all the time. Um and if I was drinking, I was, you know, self-harming um, and, you know, doing like just stupid stuff. Um, and I I just lost it in the end. Um, basically, what happened was I was working in um, a children's home and I walked in to find this girl had tried to hang herself. Um, and that just like, that was just it then. Um 
I mean, I'd worked in mental health all my life, most of it, like 18, 18 years, something like that. I'd worked in mental health, learning disabilities. Um, I'd seen, you know, I'd seen a lot of stuff. I'd seen a lot of horrible stuff as well. You know, I'd worked in acute setting. I'd worked, I'd worked in forensic. But seeing a, seeing a kid do that to the South, it just, it just blew my head completely. Um, and it was then that, you know, I, I completely had a breakdown and, you know, and, I was just, uh, I, I just felt like I wasn't in this world anymore. I needed to get out of it. And, you know, I, I had all these suicidal thoughts and I was being taken to a place of safety in terms of um, hospital um, because I wasn't safe with my own thoughts anymore. And I can remember, um, you know, the ambulance coming, my mom coming downstairs and saying, what's going on? And like the ambulance driver just says, she's not well. We've got to take her to hospital, but like, they didn't say it was because of mental health. Um, and I got to the hospital, um, and they, yeah. they put me in this room, and it was just a horrible room. Um, and I felt all claustrophobic and you know all all tense and horrible. And um, I thought I've got to go, and I just darted out, but all the doors were locked, so I went upstairs all around the weekend, and I managed to get out onto the car park. And then the next thing I know, I'm being wrestled to the floor by like three security guards. I was like, what the, what, what's going on? I said, I'm just going home. I went, you can't go home. I went, I can. I said, I'm not under section. Like, you haven't sectioned me. I'm, you know, I know I'm a right sort of thing. I can't go home. So they said, you need to come back with us after they wrestled me to the floor. And I was like, okay. So I went back in and um, I said, I want to be discharged. The nurse was really horrible, a vile woman. Um. Because that, 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 you know, and, and I think, you know, in a &E, that they're not really trained for mental health. And, you know, I saw that throughout my life in terms of when I've took service users or, you know, um, residents into hospital who have got mental health or learned disabilities. They're not treated the same. Um, and, 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 and that's very obvious. Um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who listen to this who have who have, you know, got children or, you know, or family members who have, who are, you know, who have learned disabilities or have severe conditions in terms of mental health or learning disability or, you know, co cognitive um, disabilities, they can see the difference in the care that they get. Um, and, and that kind of put me off A&E, really. Like I'd, so I'd, I'd reached out for help, but I didn't get it. Like, and... Well, could I just um, jump in on that, Sky? Yeah, yeah. I say there's, there's so many people I talk to in that same experience going into those facilities, and they've, they've been put into a room with one-on-one, -on -one, and that person's just sat there, not engaging with the necessarily mentally poorly person, yeah. just sat there, and I thought, what's the worst thing we can do to a prisoner in this country? Solitary confinement. But if you've got yeah. that caring soul that's in the room with you, he can bring you out of it, and as you said, like going into, um, you're not safe with your own thoughts, you no need help, and to get in there and then to be tackled, that's instantly another form of trauma on top of it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, you know, I, I, I've been that person who's who's been on the one-to-one -one observation. Like, I've been on the other side of the, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've saw it and I've, I've helped people and, you know, it's just sitting there looking at someone, staring at them. That's not that's not therapeutic. That's not anything, is it? You know, a conversation is can be about anything. You know, it doesn't have to be about your mental health. It doesn't about, need to be about your thoughts. 
it's just a conversation like anything like how many sisters you got like um what's your, your favorite bag of, like? what's your favorite bag of crisps <laughs> yeah. exactly you know it's it's just just simple communication so simple but it, it, it there just seems that barrier there that like people just see this mental illness and you know and, and deep down i knew that i didn't want to be sectioned but also i knew that i i was ill i was very very ill and you know at any time i could i could just step in front of the car or you know every time i went out i'd, I'd have to take my mom with me because i knew i had that comforting thing and you know when, when we speak about suicide and stuff like that you know, we look for them comforting elements that, you know, keep us in reality. Um, so I'd have to go out with my mum and, you know, and I was, I started to be a, li a little bit more open about my mental health with my family and stuff like that. And and obviously they were supportive, but they had their own problems, do you know what I mean? And I, and I use that word, I, I didn't want to be a burden because, you know, I'd seen my 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 family going through their own struggles in life and you know their things and uh, like even though i always knew that my family would be there for me i just didn't want to be a burden and you know we i think we use that word a lot and it comes well, up a lot in mental health that that word burden how many poor souls have we lost because they didn't want to be a burden yeah yeah it's just uh, you know and you know coming back into the modern day like how many we you know i saw a tweet by london ambulance that you know i think suicide is up by i think it's about 25 percent from from this time last year because people are not getting the services and you know i'm in a really good place at the moment you know and i i use the first lockdown to get myself well um and i, I was starting to recover and I, I was starting to go into recovery um but then I, I just found um, Get Fit for Mental Wellness at the right time. Um, and I, you know, watched their stuff, interacted with them. And it just gave me, a, a, you know, a new enlightened life. And, you know, now I, you know, I know how to deal with my feelings. I, I can feel my feelings. I can, you know, at times you, I can express. Could you tell us about that, though, please? Because I know a lot of our listeners, we try on the BCB to share it. But could you tell us about that organisation, please? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, Get Fit for Mental Wellness was um, an organisation set up by um, someone called Manny, Manny um, Manuel Benages, um and he's had his own struggles with mental health. Um, I'll just like briefly touch on it because it's not it, that's his story kind of thing, and you know he's quite open about his story. Um, and he had a lot of struggles in his life. He saw a lot of suicide, um, and you know he he had a you know addictions um and basically when he wanted to you know um get the help he was told he was just given leaflets and told it was an 18 month 18 month wait to see someone um so then he took on his you know took on an action and and he wanted to change people's lives um through this charity called get Fit for mental wellness and um basically it started off um as some steps in Scammerdon at Halifax um, and he, he you know invited people down from that um, and from that he he developed um, an eight-week program where people can go on to deal with their mental health um, and within that eight-week program there's um, personal trainers psychologists 
um, doctors, um, you know, counsellors, so much, you know, professionals. Um, and he developed this eight-week programme. And then that eight-week programme, he's run again. Um, just, and that's just finished. Um, and Get Fit for Mountain Wellness is, you know, spread all over the country now. Uh, and there's, you know, walk and talks all over the country. Um, and we've got one coming up in Wolverhampton, um, which I'm which I'm really honoured to be part of and, you know, to be a facilitator for that. But, you know, if, 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 you know, if you are struggling, you know, do go over to Get Fit for Mental Wellness and you'll always get a response. Um, can you and can you find can you find them on Facebook, Sky? Yeah, yeah. So um, you type in "get fit," um, and it's the number four, not the writing for "get fit for mental wellness." Um, and the, the, they're on Facebook, and they do a lot of work on Instagram as well, which is the same one. Get fit, the number four mental wellness. Yeah. So check them out if you'd like to do something like that, because I think. Sometimes, I mean, obviously there's conditions where we need medication, but I think exercise and just having a conversation with a fellow human being can be so worthwhile, guys. So please check them out, because that might be your medicine. Definitely, and I mean... Sorry, Sky, we've got the website scrolling across the bottom now, which no doubt will point you to Facebook and um, Instagram as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and, and, and it is a proven fact that exercise does help mental health. So even a walk and, you know, stuff like that um, can help and it, and it, and it will help, um, I'm sure. And, and you know, we, I think in these times we need to we need to look for positives and we need to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I'm living proof. I'm living proof that you can come out of depression. You know, I've, you know obviously I still have to take my tablets every day and every night, I, you know, and if I didn't take them tablets, I would never sleep. Do you know what I mean? And it's not something that I want to be reliant on. But at this time, I have to be, you know, I have to keep taking my tablets because I say that I'm uh, I'm, I'm in recovery, but I'm not recovered. Um, I'm in a good place where I can, you know, have a few drinks and not take it too far. Um, and I can, um, you know, live a life, a fulfilling life. And I've got ambitions now and you know, I see so many, you know, so many negative things about, you know, the trans world and on social media and, you know, all these people question our existence. You know, you don't need to understand it or, you know, everyone is entitled to their opinion. And, I, you know, I, I, I have my own opinions, but no one deserves to be bullied for their for their religion, the the colour of the skin, the sexuality, gender identity or anything. You can, you know, you can question, but you you, you haven't got the right to bully people. And, you know, through, you know, when, when, when I set up Black Country Fusion, the football club, um, and, and that helped me massively with my mental health. And it helped me to be around all these men that were, that, that weren't how people was back in, back in my, in my childhood. You know, these guys were nice people who, who just wanted to play football and be part of something special and, and black country fusion was really, really special. And, and it, it, it gave us a voice to, you know, no other, no other platform that we could get, you know, being, being on a TV advert and, you know, getting the, getting to talk to people and, you know, it did lift me, it did give me a voice. Um, and I, I, I'm very honored that at the minute I, I can, I can use my voice um, 
to 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 speak about positivity, to speak about light at the end of the tunnel, you know, to to try and help people with mental health, like. You know, that's what we wanted to get you on the show today to tell your remarkable story. But something I think I want to touch on is, as you said, everyone has got a right to an opinion. But I, I hate bullying in every form. And like we're in, we're in the Lions Boxing Club and where we'll have travellers mixed with um, Muslims, with Sikhs, with gays, with straight, with disabilities. And we're under that same banner of just being Lions. And it's something I've, I've seen so much through my life. And I, I think it's. It is disgusting. And is. just because you might not agree with something, it's not your pot of porridge. I, I think it's terrible. And how sad it must be for someone to be gay or lesbian or trans and to have to live a lie and never find true happiness. And I think that's yeah. all we ever want for our children, our brothers, our families, is love and happiness. And we can only get that when we love ourselves. Exactly, 100%. And, and I think a lot, a lot of them... Um, a lot of gay people, um, lesbians, and some trans people are very accepting of themselves, but it's the other people that put the pressures on. And I mean, you know, going into you know school and stuff like that, um, LGBT bullying is is one of the biggest forms of bullying in schools. You know, um, suicide is very high within the LGBT community, um, and and there is so many statistics. I mean, we look at America, a um, horrible place to live for a trans woman, um, but especially for a trans black woman. You know, there's 20, 30 trans black women murdered every year in America, uh, which, is, which is never spoken about. And it's very much brushed under the carpet because their society, their community have kicked them out onto the streets. And, you know, the, the, these um, people who are fighting for equality for black people are the ones that are killing their own people and putting them out on the street because they see, you know, trans as a mark on, on, on them. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very hard in America to be black and be a trans woman and have all this murder. There's a lot of trans women on the street. And, you know, and, and, and when I speak about trans, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm, that I'm trans in England where I've got, you know, the Equality Act. I've got all these acts that are on my side. And not 75% of English people in England and our communities are very accepting of each other. We just want to live a life in peace and, you know, happiness. And But it's the 25% that have always got something to say or, you know. But, you know, even, even a comment on Facebook can send someone into deep depression and they could end up killing themselves. Just one comment. You, you you know it's just so horrible that we live in a, a social media world and I'm the worst I'm always on social media and I'm always seeing stuff but we have to we, we have to educate people and and say look these words do cause harm you know and the, the that old saying sticks and stones may break your bones but words will never hurt you they hurt you and they hurt you bad and they hurt you worse I, I heard that sticks and stones may break your bones but words will never what is it? Words will never hurt you. Yeah, but yeah, might, yeah. But, but they might cripple you. Someone once exactly. said that to me. They might cripple you because, yes, it might not hurt you, but that that could be that, that catalyst to do something atrocious, either to someone else or to yourself. And then yeah. if when someone takes their life, it's not only that life that's been taken, it's the son, it's the mother, it's the, it's the family in that circle. 
So next time you go to write something, or just think, God forbid that was your son, your daughter, or one of your loved ones, and that to you might be a throwaway comment. That comment could cost someone a loved one. So instead of yeah. writing something, just sit down and have a moan if you need to, but don't hurt someone because then words can kill. And they, and they do as well, um, you know. And, and and we're always reading about that. Um, there's so many teenagers that are, you know, not just LGBTQ, but you know, being bullied for whatever reason, uh, and are going out and you know trying to commit suicide or you know going down a a, a sticky route, uh, maybe turning to drugs, drink, and you know, at, at such an early age, um, and it's scary, really. You know, I've, I've got nieces and nephews. They were very young, and I would hate to see them being bullied, or I'd hate to see them struggling with their with their mental health, uh, and, and for me to not try and help them. Do you know what I mean? And and luckily we are, you know, we, we can inspire, and you know, the the work that you do, um, the work that I do, that we, we we can try and give hope to people. Um, and you know, I said uh, I, I I've been in a, you know, I emailed the FA. Um, saying, you know, you, why can't you let two people kick a football between each other and talk? Why can't you do that? You know, um, and, and in the end, I said, you know, I'd rather get a fine off you for letting two people under the name of my club kick a ball than to find out that that person's have gone out and committed suicide because they can't cope with a second lockdown. I will pay the fine. That's fine. You know, you, you know, you, I, I will pay the hundred pounds. That's fine. But if I've saved a life by doing that, then that's worth a million. You know, not even you can't even put a, a, a price on it. That's worth so. That's worth more than money. Do you know what I mean? Hundred pounds, nothing if it saves someone's life. Um, but like, and, I, know, I know in the boxing world and with gyms, the problem is it's a ten thousand pound fine, and I mean that's. That's lewd, because I'm going to step away from that conversation, because I know so many people in the boxing world are furious about that. And we haven't yeah, come on yeah. to talk about fines and fighting the power. We're here to unite. Instead of dividing, we're here to unite. But, exactly, um, yeah. uh, Lee, have you got any comments you'd like to ask, Sky? Um, I was fasc- absolutely fascinating listening to you. And uh, I think we all need to remember it's it's OK to have a difference of opinion. Um don't slag that person off because they have a different opinion. Listen to it and maybe you'll come round to their way of thinking. Maybe you won't, but there's no reason to, to bully them over that. No, uh, I fully agree, yeah. Yeah, ultimately, if we if, if we all agreed on everything, it'd be really boring anyway. You know, let's let's have, let's have conversations and different opinions in those conversations. But there's no there's no need to get malice involved. Um yeah. I've seen it a lot on Twitter just because of the, the presidential election and you just read some of the comments that happen because of that. And, you know, it's it, it, it's it's a throwaway comment to people and you're just thinking well, there's no need to be rude or mean about it. They're just, they just don't they don't think like you do. It's simple yeah. as that. Definitely. I think, you know, I think we've all got opinions and whatever else, but you can't bully people through it. Because then words are, are, you know, are very negative and we don't want to live in a negative life. And, you know, we just want to empower people. And, and, and I think that's what, you know, we need to do around mental health is get rid of that stigma. Um, and, you know, and let people know that 
just because you're diagnosed with a mental health, it's not the end of the. It's not the end of your life. It's just a hard time at this at this moment. It's very hard at this moment, but there is hope in the future. You can you you can you can um, you know get out of the tunnel, the dark tunnel. You can see the light, um, and may that however you find your light, that's that that's unique to you. Like I found my light through spirit, spirituality and, you know, Buddhism. I read Buddhism um, and, and, you know, being present in the now um, and, you know, burning, burning incense and, you know, saging and doing stuff like that. That's how I found my light. And that's very individual to me. Um, and that and that's my saviour. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I've done. And, you know, I found a group that I, 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 I can get on with and, the ethos, it, it's like mine sort of thing. Um, and, you know, you found yours through boxing. And, you know, there's so many different ways that you can find your light. Um, and everyone has to go on their own journey and, and, and find their own light. Um, but there is always light at the end of the tunnel and, uh, and and there's always someone there. You're never alone. And, I mean, because that is lovely. There is light towards the end of the tunnel. But halfway through the tunnel... You don't, you can't see it. Just keep pushing through it because the light's almost around the corner. But let's yeah. let's talk let's talk about like you you do your football, which I think is remarkable. You do your work with Manny, but you're also on the radio, aren't you? On our on our uh, favourite Wolverhampton stage, uh, station, WCR FM, which me and Lee yeah. have been on twice now. Once on Sky Show, which is about football and mental health. So tune in. And I've also been on Chris's. So would you like to tell them a bit about that, please, Sky? Yeah, so um, I think it was um, just after the Carlin advert came out, I was offered um, to to present the sports show on WCRFM. Um, and I, I've never done radio before. Um, I've been a DJ and I've, you know, spoke publicly a lot um, through equality in football, but I've never hosted a radio station. Um, and I, I couldn't turn it down, you know, um it, it, it was an amazing opportunity um, and, and, and to be a voice of sport in, in our community. Um, it, it's amazing. And I, and I get to meet so many amazing people, um, not just football people, but, you know, boxers, uh, cricket players, hockey players, golfers, everything. You know, I cover everything on the show and they've all got their own stories and remarkable stories. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that's happening in our community in Wolverhampton in Dudley, you know, Wolverhampton and surrounding areas, I say, um, a lot of good grassroots projects. And WCRFM is, it, it's very much a community radio station. And we get the chance to give those, give those people a voice um, for 10, 20 minutes uh, on my show. Um, and I love talking and finding out about, you know, the different community projects that are going on. I think they're absolutely amazing. And we, we, we've got some, good volunteers and it's always important to point out that you know everyone in grassroots is a volunteer and and, and does it for a passion and does it because they want to make a difference in, in their sport or you know in a child's life if you've got an academy system or anything like that um, yeah. and, and it's that passion um, and I think that's what hopefully comes across on the radio when I'm on there. I, you know, I, I think I, I stutter a lot on the station and, you know, I go off on my own rantings and I, I go off on my own direction sometimes. But, you know, I, I really hope that the community feel of the of the show does come across. Um, so if anyone wants to come on um, and, and talk about sport, I'm, I'm a sports presenter 
um, then please do, please do get in contact with me on um, on um, Twitter at DJ Lady Sky, on Instagram at DJ Lady Sky, um, and I'll get you on the show. Obviously, at the minute we can't have face to face interviews, but we, you know, I can I can have it over the phone, or or even if your project is not sport related and it's something else, then I can I can pass your information on to one of the other presenters who can who can get you on their show. Um, but yeah, it's all it, it's all good, and you know it's amazing to have people like yourselves on um, to share the to share their love and you know share their support. Um, and, and one thing that's really you know stuck in my head um, was the canon the Cannon and Bull song. Um, I mean, um, together we'll be okay. Um, I think that song should be number one. And I can remember Cannon and Bull singing it at the Grand Theatre, and you know with with, with his passing recently, that song's being played a lot, um, but if you know together we will be okay because we are a community and we can move forward. And you know I, I play that song a lot, and it always makes me smile because I, it's just a, such an infectious song. Do you know what I mean? It's like it just makes you it makes you smile, and I think that's what life's about: living it, loving it, and enjoying it, and and riding the bad times, but coming out the other end. Well, Sky, thank you so much for coming on. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to advertise, because we are now going to be going twice a week. Same time, 7.30, but we're going to be coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30. And this Thursday, we're going to be joined by Tom Gareth, Garrett, Tom Garrett, sorry, Tom. And he's going to be coming on to talk about um, when your wife miscarriages or when you have stillbirth. Yes, because obviously it's so painful for that woman who's created that baby inside their body. Well, often us blokes are forgotten about. And people forget that we too are creating a family and the love that we have for that unborn child and how there's not enough therapy and counselling. So he's going to be coming on to talk about his journey. And I, I imagine I'll relate to so many people out there. So, Sky, before we leave, have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? I think I think I've said them all. <laughs> I think um, together we'll be okay. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use um, the wall the walls quote: "Out of darkness cometh the light," because there's always light at the end of everyone's tunnel. Well, until we see each other next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Tomorrow, bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen.